Thank you, Brother Dan. Our topic again tonight is found in Matthew eleven twenty eight. We're looking at the rest of Christ. We spent several weeks already on this verse. Uh, we spent about three or four weeks looking at the call, and we began last week looking at the rest <coughs> that Christ offers. Uh, anybody want to read Matthew eleven twenty eight? Okay, thank you, Dan. Now, it's interesting. Uh, let me begin by asking a question, I suppose. What is, what is that verse offering? To who? And what's the condition? Yeah, to come and accept it, yes. A lot of times during the springtime, around graduation time, uh, through the years we'll be driving uh, through the countryside or we'll, we'll see some balloons and a big party going on for probably some graduate, high school, college, whatever. And I'll, several times I'll say to Pam, we might have pulled in there. They don't know who we are. And, and they probably invited a bunch of people. And you know, we, we could probably grab a sandwich and be gone before anybody realizes it. But the fact of the matter, those parties are for who? Those kind of parties. For somebody has been invited. And not everybody is. And what I want you to realize tonight, what a wonderful verse Matthew eleven twenty eight is. Because the only hope for mankind is the fact that our God, the great God of the universe, has provided a remedy. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only has he given us a remedy, he invites us to come. You know why he invites us? Guess what he wants to give us? He wants to give us eternal life, give us that rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I was 22 years old when I gave my life to Christ. And the fact of the matter is, until that happened, I didn't realize the blessings I was missing. I didn't realize what I had missed for all those many years. And we're living in a world filled with people who have no idea what they're missing. They can, they're missing on a rest that in their wildest imagination they couldn't even dream of. But they're where they are because they choose to be there. Unbelief has dominated their lives. Of course, Satan is working to keep them. But the bottom line is... They're missing the greatest thing they could ever have. And Jesus invites everyone to come. We mentioned this last week, and we know that Christ had about three and a half years of public ministry here on this earth. <clears throat> and during that period of time, uh, there were lots of folks came uh, to seek him. And for those who did, there were two things that were true. Number one, they were persuaded of his power. And they believed he was willing. But also, they realized how deep their need was. Now think about that. Those who came to him realized, number one, he could do it. But number two, who else could? Say it again. No one. They realized he was their only hope. So number one, they believed his power. They believed he was willing. 
but they also realize the depth of their need. And that's the way for salvation too, by the way. Those who come to Christ for salvation must believe that he is willing and able to save, but also understand we have to see the depth of our need. Folks, we were without hope, without Christ. We've got to see that. The second thing they did, after they realized what he could do and he was willing, when they realized uh, they had that great need, the second thing, you know, kind of almost automatically, but it didn't always happen, they said, you know what, if I'm going to get it, I've got to go to him. I have to seek him. Now, again, uh, certainly a lot of people heard about Jesus. They hear about him in our world today. He's being taught and preached across even the airways. But understand, they also have to realize, okay, I've heard that message, but they, like Dan said, they've got to come and they've got to accept that message and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, a question I guess I would ask tonight, because as far as I know, most of us here, all of us here are saved. Uh, how hard is it to get saved? Okay, it's possible for God, but what about coming to Christ? How hard is that? How many mountains you got to climb over? <laughs> well, not necessarily, but you've got to overcome yourself, right? But the fact of the matter, he's not trying to hide from us. He's not trying to withhold it. You know, I, I think the biggest, uh, probably one of the biggest things we deal with is ourselves. Laying down our pride, realizing we need a Savior, whatever it is. But the great news is Christ is never far away from those who desire to know him. He is always near. And by the way, wherever the gospel is preached, uh, Christ is there. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, by the way, I think I mentioned last week, uh, Paul, when he writes this, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. And what's interesting, you know, Moses was one of the first ones that was, who said it in the beginning, uh, way back in Deuteronomy, of course, God was speaking there. And Moses ministered during a time when the Jews felt like if you're going to reach God, you've got to keep the law, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But even then, Moses reminded them, you don't do that. You don't have to climb to heaven. Uh, you don't have to go to the deepest part of, of, uh, of the deep you don't have to bring Christ up again from the dead. In fact, the word is very near you, the word which we speak. And, of course, that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. Okay, so Jeremiah is very clear. But those who seek with all their heart, they will find him. Now, again, our focus tonight is on the promise Jesus made. He said, I will give you rest. Folks, don't miss the wonderful news of that claim. Christ says, I will give you rest. And we mentioned this last week. He's the only one who can. And again, uh, this promise certainly declares how unique he is. And no one else 
has the authority to say, come unto me and I will give you rest. What gave him that authority? And he is God, right? God, so he's the son of God. He is God. Uh, who made man? God did. Okay. Uh, and by the way, this is a, a promise of restoration. And because God made us, uh, he is able to restore man if we'll just come to him. And we know the Bible speaks of Christ as the Prince of Peace. And, of course, he alone is capable of giving us rest. So please remember this, folks. Jesus Christ is the only one who is able and qualified to give rest from our for our soul, and by the way, no one can give true true rest or find true rest anywhere but in Him. One of the worst, I think, the horrible things of this world of pathetic is how our world is trying to find happiness in a lot of different things. And for the most part, how do they end up? Are they happy? Are they satisfied? No. They're looking in all the wrong places. Now, by the way, thank God that he has revealed this to us and that we have come to a time in our lives where we have realized that Jesus Christ and him alone can restore those who are burdened, heavy laden, and those who need rest. Now, the sad thing is, tough lesson to learn. It's slow. Sometimes we're slow for that. But again, remember this. I think one of the main problems is the pride of our hearts. For so long in our own lives, we try to be self-sufficient. We think we can, help, we, can, uh, we can handle this thing. And the Spirit of God speaks to our heart. And finally, God's grace humbles our hearts. Now, remember... It's the Spirit of God who draws us to Christ. He's the one who softens our heart. He's the one who helps to realize we cannot sustain ourselves. He's the one that opens our eyes and we see for the first time we need to depend upon Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12. What's that verse tell us? You kind of narrow-minded there, Phyllis. That's right. That was God's word, not your word. You just read it. But yeah, there's only one way. Jesus Christ is the only way. Know the name under heaven among men. Does that narrow it down? Pretty much so, right? Except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we left off last time, okay? Tonight, we'll, I want to look at the nature of this red. What's it like? Now, again, uh, the original language indicates something more than just a rest. Uh, it indicates more than relaxing from toil. It, it also indicates a refreshment. Okay? <clears throat> so, again, certainly this rest is a relaxation. It is a rest, there's no doubt about that, but according to the original language, the implication goes deeper than that because it also denotes refreshment. 
What in the world is refreshment? You can't all speak at once. Okay, renew. Okay. Uh, one, I think one example from the scriptures. Uh, first of all, we talked about Jesus. Somebody said, well, he was God. Was he just God? Okay, but was he anything else but God? He was also a man. Did he get thirsty? Now, hold on. One time he's traveling to Galilee. He goes to Samaria. And the Bible said he was weary. And he came to a well. So he sat on that well. Would you agree that was a form of rest? He was resting from his journey. But was that all he needed? What else did he need that day? Say it again, Dan. He needed some water. He needed refreshment. Now, I realize he's God. He could do what he wants to, but he's a God man. And so, when Jesus said, come to me, I'll give you rest, certainly it's relaxation. That's what Jesus did sitting there on that well. But it also provides refreshment. Now, think about this. Most of you here know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you don't, if you have time, explain it to Brother Rick later on. But most of us have worked hard during our lives. I'll, I'll explain it later, Rick. Okay, uh, but, and and you've done that, right? And, and you come and you you know whatever it is, and uh, you, you you worked all day, and it's been a, a long day, and you just want to get home and rest. And, and that might be the easy chair, the recliner, right? Right? I know, Rick, you're confused, but you'll get it later. But but we want to rest. But don't we also want refreshment too? But not only do we want it, guess what? Say it again, fellas. We need it. We need refreshment. Exactly. And, and so that's exactly what it is. Because when we're weary, we want that rest, that relaxation, sure. But also, our bodies want food and refreshment. And it restores uh, our spirit. But it also helps repair our wasted strength. It invigorates us. And so, again, that's the rest the gospel is talking about. Now, certainly, uh, those who are looking in the wrong places, uh, their labor is fruitless. And, uh, wow, they've wasted their time and they're still not any better. But this rest coming to Jesus brings about a sweet revival in their soul. It's not only a peace that it brings but joy in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, go ahead. Oh, yes. And that's, that, does that mean a lot of contentment? Sure it does. And all that's because we can now rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when the Bible speaks about Jesus, come to me and I'll give you rest. He's talking about a spiritual rest, a satisfying rest, a rest for the soul. And by the way... When Jesus gives us something, who can take it away? Nobody. It's a rest the world can never take away from us. 
So let's spend some time looking tonight a couple of things about the nature of this rest. First of all, this rest delivers us from that empty, weary search. Now remember, once we find it, guess what? We're satisfied. Once we find this rest Christ offers, where else do we need to look? Nowhere else. It puts a period at the end of our searching. And by the way, for those who are looking in the wrong places, their lives are absorbed with that. And it, it will be absorbed with that until they allow the Spirit of God to open their eyes. And they come and realize how foolish they have been and certainly change their mind and find true rest in Christ. And yet, we mentioned earlier, we're living in a world that's been true for ages, that men and women wander everywhere, from place to place, from thing to thing, and they're trying to find something that will bring satisfaction to them. But at the end of the day, all they get is disappointment because they're looking in the wrong place. And that is true with everyone until they come to Jesus Christ. We mentioned the well in John 4 a moment ago. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. What does that mean? Absolutely. It's going to go on and on. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't need that. We certainly do. But Jesus says, I've got a replenishment. I've got a refreshment that's even better than that. It'll satisfy the deepest thirst in your life. Most of us have read about Solomon. We know about his glory days and all the things he accomplished, the things he was able to do. And for the most part, he had everything he wanted. He tried everything he wanted. He had the, the time, the finances. And so there was nothing left unturned. Look what he said, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, Solomon looked everywhere. What, he, what was his conclusion? Nothing satisfies. And folks, the good news is this. Jesus Christ, he invites us to come. And he says, if you will drink of the water I'm going to offer you, he says, you will never, ever thirst again. So number one, this rest, it delivers us from that empty, weary search. Number two, it also eases our conscience. Now keep in mind, for those of us who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, we know what that means. John 6, Job 6, 4. Job 6, 4. Job is speaking, of course, of conviction. And for whatever reason, Job has a sense of an inward divine wrath. And he realizes that, wow, God's judgment is not pretty. And 
he declares that's what's at work in his life. But the Spirit of God can come along in our life and bring conviction and draw us from that toward God. And look at Psalm 38, verses 2 and 3. Psalm, Psalm of David here uh, during the time when he ascended with Bathsheba. And this will happen. I was reading through that today. And uh, you know the story how David covered up and in the end uh, Uriah was killed in battle, her husband, because of the hand of David. And it ends though the chapter ends as though David's thinking, okay, I'm taking care of that. But the last sentence says, God was not pleased. What does that mean? Yeah. And now David knows. God's arrows were sticking fast in him. God's hand was upon him. David said there's no soundness in his flesh because of God's anger. And David said there's no rest in my bones because of my sin. You see, whenever we first come to Christ and we begin to realize His wonderful love for us, how deep He loves us, and then we remember how awful we treated Him through the years, it's like those in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached, and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, when we come by faith to Christ, well, let me ask you a question for him. Which of our sins does God forgive? All of them. Which guilt does God take away? All of it. You see, he's a remedy for that. And when we come by faith in Christ, it alters that conviction we had. And then we realize, according to the Scripture, thank God for His words today. He died in our place. Died in my place. Died in your place. And Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 8, said, There is therefore now no condemnation for you and I. None whatsoever. And when I realize that, and I say, Lord, I, I don't understand all of this thing about justification uh, by faith, but I'm, I'm claiming it by faith. And when I realize that, there's no longer any more condemnation. All of a sudden, the load comes off of us. We don't have to carry that load anymore. Why? Jesus paid it all. And once that happens, there's a peace that passes understanding that fills our lives. So the nature of this rest, number one, it delivers from that vain, empty search. Number two, it eases our conscience. Number three, it gives us rest from the power and the dominion of sin. How many glad for grace tonight? Amen. And only those who are subject of His grace can even begin to think what that means. 
The unsaved are not concerned about the glory of God. The unsaved are indifferent whether or not how they live pleases God. To them, they could care less. The unsaved have no idea of how sinfulness, how sinful sin really is, and they don't realize how completely sin dominates them. And what they don't realize on their own power, they can never break away from sins dominating them. It's only when the Spirit of God comes, illuminates our minds, and they, that we realize how awful we were, and, and not only that, how awful our situation is. It's been a lot of years ago now. We were at the state meeting one year, and we went for lunch, and uh, Reverend Holbert Ashby, Holbert Ashby was pastor at First Dayton Church. He's in heaven now. And uh, he brought a devotion at lunch that day, and I'll never forget it. Never forget it. And he used from the book of Psalm, when, the, uh, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And he shared an important truth, and he said, man, he said, you need to realize, even as preachers, we need that rock. Because we may not be as bad as other men might have been. But without Christ, we are as bad off. And how true that is. And until we realize that, until those who are sinners realize how awful their sin is, until they realize how sin has got a stranglehold on them, until the Spirit of God illumines their mind, convicts their conscience, it's only then they'll be able to see how horrible their situation really is. It's only then they'll run to Christ. Because by the way, by the way, they realize I cannot deal with it on my own. I cannot get rid of these burdens. Only Jesus can do that. Now, by the way, one of the problems that we have as human beings, it's hard to break away from relying on ourselves, isn't it? And even once we come to Christ, it's a journey. To really trust Him, to believe that He has taken care of all of our sins, to believe that He paid the price in full, uh, to believe uh, that He really wants us to have that rest, to believe He's forgiven us of every sin that we've ever committed, and, you know, you wouldn't believe the people I've spoken to through through the years who still battle past sins that they simply can't get over. But the fact of the matter is, folks, if we come to Christ, put a period over, sin no longer dominates you. Christ has forgiven us from those sins. And so as we begin to grow more out of ourselves, and we're being, we're learning to live in Christ. We're learning to draw our strength from Him by faith. It's then we also get that rest Jesus promises. Come unto me and I will give you rest. So number one, it delivers from that empty, weary search. Number two, it eases our conscience. Number three, it gives us rest from the power of sin. Thank God for that. But number four, it gives us rest from our own works. 
Now again, let me ask in the form of a question. When Jesus paid for our sins, which ones did he pay for? All of them. 100%. And the more we realize the sufficiency of the work of Christ, we begin to see we could never earn it. We, we don't owe any debt anymore. The song is right. Jesus paid it all. Now, does that mean we don't obey God? No. But our obedience is not out of fear. Now, it ought to be out of reverence, of course. But our obedience, once we're saved, should be out of gratitude. We want to obey Him because He's come into our lives. He's given us that rest He has promised. And so, serving the Lord is not a burden. Serving the Lord is not grievous. It's not something we think, well, we have to. But we want to because of what God has done for us. And we serve Him in a gracious spirit. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. So, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be obedient. I'm not trying to earn anything. I've already got it. I just want to display for you how how my heart is filled with gratitude for all you have done for me. I can't speak for everyone here, but I thought, man, if, if I get saved, I won't be have any fun anymore. I mean, all the fun things would be gone. I couldn't have been more wrong. Folks, I have enjoyed life so much more since I became a child of God. And what I, I thought, and my, you know, before that would be a burden uh, that, wow, once I got saved, I realized it's a delight to serve God. It is an honor and a delight to serve God. I don't have to worry about trying to earn God's love. Why? He already does. I don't have to worry about trying to earn God's father uh, favor in my life. He is my father. And now he's my heavenly father. <laughs> and we have to realize, folks, and listen to me very carefully. God is not a tyrant. Even as his children, he's not waiting in heaven uh, to clobber us if we mess up. He's there with open arms to receive us when we come to him. And ask for forgiveness. Now, by the way, not part of our text tonight, but in Romans 5, uh, Paul talking about grace. And, and grace said, uh, Paul said that where grace and sin were, inclu- were involved, where sin was, Paul said, grace superabounded. And what that means is, if your sin is this deep, God's grace goes deeper. And there's no limit to the grace of God. And that was, of course, in chapter 5. And I realized Paul didn't have chapters. Uh, but in the very next chapter, Paul anticipates a wrong conclusion. And he said, now, in so many words, and look, before you get the wrong idea here, I'm not saying it's okay to live careless. Yes, grace is there. 
And grace always supersedes our sin. Thank God for that. But here's the thing. Genuine grace. It won't leave us living a careless life. But that kind of grace will spur us on. It will stir us to want to live a life in such a way it will glorify the one who gave his very son as a sacrifice for our sins. It will motivate us to want to live for him. So this rest that Jesus promises, before we come, we're in bondage. Bondage to sin. We couldn't break away. When we come to Christ, liberty. Slaveship is removed. We became sons of God. We had toil. Now we have rest. And the great news is, now that we're saved, we rely upon the Spirit of God. We rely upon the unchanging Word of God. And by the way, the Bible also promises a future rest. A rest beyond anything that we'll ever experience in this world. Try as hard as you will. Trying to imagine the rest that God has planned for us in eternity, and you'll come up short. But understand, the rest that Jesus promises is the best thing you'll ever find. So what about that future rest? Number one, when we get to heaven, we will have perfect resting from all sin. My question is, why don't we have that now? Say it again. We're still in the world, yes. It's still in the world. Now, by the way, the Bible says that, it talks about heaven, there is nothing that can enter heaven that will defile, be sinful, or ruin, ruin our rest. It will be a perfect place. We live in a corrupt world, and it's difficult to find the words that will express what it means to be delivered from indwelling corruption. And the closer that you and I, as believers, walk with Christ, the more intimate our communion with Him is. And the closer we draw to Christ, the more intimate we become with Him, the greater our hate for our sin will grow. Because we know we have a desire for holiness, but we fight that battle every day in our lives. Because we desire holiness. Romans 7, verse 24. Anybody know who wrote that? Anybody know? The Apostle Paul. 
I have heard different discussion about chapter 7. And I don't know how prevalent this would be, this one argument that I did here, that surely Paul was speaking before he got saved, and uh, because now that he's saved, uh, the battle is over. I don't agree with that. You're shaking your head no, fellas. I don't agree with that either. But the truth of the matter is, how long does this battle go on? Here we die. And if you know the rest of the chapter, Paul said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I, I know what, I know the good things I'd be, I need to be doing. And I, and I want to do those things. But he makes a confession. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I want to do, no, I need to do, I struggle to do them. Aren't you glad for his honesty? I am. Because if we're not careful, we, we forget. It's not, it's not me who struggles. It's everyone who walks with Christ who struggles with that battle. And, and so, you know, Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? Now I realize, and I know this is kind of profound, but I, I realize chapter 8 comes next. And Paul talks about being no condemnation there. But just because there's no condemnation, does that mean that, that that struggle stops? No. But the good news is, it's great news. God's people will not carry that burden beyond the grave. Heaven will be the perfect place. So, no sin there, nothing to hinder that. Number two, that future peace. We are going to be in a place where we won't have to be horrified by the sin of others. No more will our hearts be broken by the evil things that are here on this earth. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 7. Did you ever hear of Lot? Remember him? Now, by the way, I don't know when I finally came to this verse, but I'm glad it's there. Because when I read the Old Testament account of Lot, I wasn't sure about that guy. His testimony wasn't where it should have been. Would you agree? His life wasn't where it should have been. He was living where he shouldn't have been. But according to verse 7, while Lot lived in Sodom, did it bother him? What did it say? Yes. It vexed his soul. Now, by the way, the King James says, and delivered just Lot. It doesn't mean he's the only one. It means he was righteous. God had declared him righteous. But my friend, a child of God in this world, we cannot but help be grieved with the sin that goes on around us. It breaks our hearts. And if you love the Lord, you have to be grieved by what goes on in our world. But what grieves me the most is that people don't realize the judgment they're going to face one of these days if they don't repent and come to Christ. 
But that rests in heaven. We'll no longer have to look upon sin. Number three. There will be perpetual rest from all outward afflictions. The Bible talks about the afflictions of the righteous. And the Bible says there'll be many. But it's coming a day, coming a day, when no one will bother or harass the people of God. We will no longer live in the midst of an ungodly people. And we mentioned a week or so ago in Sunday school, we are blessed to live in America so far. We don't suffer a lot of hard persecution. But for the most part, whether you like it or not, they just tolerate us. But a day is coming when that final rest comes. No more tribulations, no more heartaches, no more pain. The fine gold will be purged from the dross. One of these days, the storms of life will be passed. And we'll spend eternity living in unbroken calm forever and ever. Revelation 21, verse 4. Amen. What's that verse say about heaven? Amen. What what would be wrong there? Nothing. No one will die. No pain. No crying from sorrow. The storms of life are over. The fourth thing... We will have a rest from Satan's temptations. Who does he tempt today? Even Christians. Amen. But there's coming a time he will no longer disturb our rest like he does now. And you know, the Bible speaks of the schemes or the wiles of the devil. He's always trying to hinder our walk with God. He tries his best to to keep us from gathering together to worship. He tries his best to keep us out of God's Word. He tries his best to interrupt our prayer times. He's always trying to intervene in our lives. And by the way... As a child of God, if you're living a happy life in Christ, guess who doesn't like it? Satan doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. So he's always trying to interfere. He is always trying to destroy and disturb our joy. 
I forget who I was listening to the other day, this preacher, he was talking about the last enemy we're going to face, and that's death. And he said, the truth is, every Christian wants to go to heaven. We just don't like the process. Isn't it true? Now, I don't know about you, I'd, like, I'd be like Enoch, just walking with God. He said, come on home, right? Or maybe Elijah, send the chariot, come and get me. But we don't like the process. And, and I realize that. And, wow. And one of the things the devil will do, or try to do, even at that greatest hour of need, when we're about ready to leave this world for eternity, he will do all he can to rob us of our assurance. My friend, God's word is true. Don't let Satan rob you of that assurance. But once we take that final breath here, that next breath will be a celestial air, and my friend, he will no longer be able to pursue us anymore. Paul said in Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. And my friend, on that day, praise God, we will forever be out of the reach of our enemy. But number five, one of these days, we will be at rest from all of our unsatisfied desires. Now remember, the day you were saved, you were declared righteous. We were justified by faith. And those who are truly born again, their heart's desire is to be done with sin forever. That's what we want. Our heart wants and longs for a perfect conformity to the image of Christ. And we are being conformed in that process, but we, we want to see it to come to fruition. And we long for unbroken fellowship with Him. And I want to say, folks, as long as we live in this world, we're going to long for that. It won't be satisfied. And it won't be satisfied until we get to heaven. Romans 7, look at verses 22 and 23. Back to Romans 7 again, and Paul makes an honest confession here. So on the inside, I have a delight to live after the law. I want to obey God. And so Paul said, I have that heartfelt desire. I have that heartfelt longing. But Paul said, I also realize that within my body, within my being, there's a war going on. A war in my mind. 
And that war, war going on in my mind is bringing me into captivity of the law of sin. And, and we need to remember, folks, as long as we live in this world, sin is constantly at war. And the reason it is because sin will not give up control over us that it lost when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Sin will continue to try to take back what he lost. And so the long as we have one, we need to have those. I'm not trying to say we don't. We ought to have them. We We ought to long for that perfect conformity to Christ. But they'll never be fulfilled in this life. And the reason is because the old nature within us always stands in opposition and battles the new nature. And so Paul says, I know what I want to do and I desire that. But there's a war going on. Philippians chapter 3, look at verses 20 and 21. Thank you, Dan. If you've been here the, on Sunday morning the last few months, we looked a little bit at this verse. The King James says, for our conversation is in heaven. And, and it really means our citizenship. Uh, the Greek word means to be a citizen. This world is not our home. And so Paul says, we're here on this earth, yes. But we're just passing through. But Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And that's why we look to heaven for the return of Jesus Christ. And Paul says when he comes back, he will change our vile body. How many are glad for that? (laughs) But he will form it like his glorious body. And church, I want you to realize this rest that God offers us on the morning of the resurrection... Our body is going to be changed like unto His glorious body. And every longing of our heart is now going to be fulfilled. And I want you to realize the day that you got saved, there was a change from nature to grace But my friend, there's coming a day when there'll be a change from grace to glory and it will be a radical change. All of our desires will be satisfied. Come unto me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. How many are glad?